You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. The numbers are troubling. When you look at the metrics as to what's happening in our churches, in our nation... Related to the different generations' engagement in church, the numbers are troubling. Let me give you a couple of examples. The first is a very simple number. It is the age of the median churchgoer in churches in the United States of America. In 2002, the median churchgoer was 49, 49 years old. In 2021, the median churchgoer was 59. That shows you that less and less young people are engaging in the church. A fascinating survey came out this past week, or, or um, encapsulation of a survey came out from Pew Research. And this survey talked about religious nuns. By that they mean someone that looks at a list of different religions and says, I'm none of those. I don't identify with any of those religions. It means that they are either atheist, agnostic, or just nothing in particular. And Pew Research said, if current trends continue as they are, by 2070, in the United States of America, there will be more religious nuns than Christians. Think about that. More atheists, agnostics, or nothing in particular, more of those than there are followers of Jesus in our nation. The numbers are troubling. When it comes to reaching the next generation and the generation beyond that, the church of Jesus Christ in America is absolutely no question about it losing ground. And yet we're challenged by the scriptures to tell the next generation of the greatness of our God. I want to show you that in Psalm 71. So turn there with me. Psalm 71, verse 17. Psalm 71, verse 17. We are finishing up this morning a series of sermons on our vision as a church, who we are, where we are headed. I want to show you a couple of passages from Psalm 71, verse 17. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. 
Joel, I so much appreciate your ministry and message and music. Powerful, powerful song this morning. And thank you so much for that. In Psalm 71, verse 17, the Bible says, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. Watch this. Until. Until I proclaim your might to another generation. Your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you. And then I want you to fast forward to Psalm 74. I'm sorry, Psalm 78. Keep turning. Psalm 78, verse 1, a psalm of Asaph. The Bible says there in verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not, watch this, hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we bow in this moment, sensing once again our desperate need for you. We believe that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So in this moment, as we study your word, I pray that you would move in our hearts by your Spirit. That you would give us the gift of illumination, that we would understand your word. And give us the gift of inclination that we would respond to what you're showing us. God, I pray that today we would leave changed. I pray that we would leave resolved to do what you've called us to do. By your grace and always and only for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In this vision series, we've been discussing our vision statement, which is simply abiding in Christ, advancing the gospel. Abiding in Christ, knowing Jesus personally, and pursuing a closer, deeper, more intimate relationship with Him. Abiding in Christ, and then telling others about Him, advancing the gospel. When it comes to advancing the gospel, we want to obey the Great Commission and we want to make disciples. We want to share the gospel so people can become followers of Jesus Christ. And our discipleship strategy is very, very simple. We want to help people grow into fully functioning followers of Christ. If you're in this room this morning, I want you to know something. Our vision, our mission, our passion, our focus is to help you to grow closer to Jesus and be on mission with Him. And we have something we call the discipleship pathway, the, the journey we want to help people take in their walk with Christ. 
The discipleship pathway is very simple. We want to help people come to know Christ, to be saved and then baptized, as we saw this morning. We want people to be connected in the body of Christ, building relationships, and then growing as they're challenged to, to uh, pursue Jesus and grow in their faith. And then we want folks to, to grow to the point where they are serving others, serving in the church, serving in the community, and then going, reaching out to others, sharing the good news, inviting people to church, going on mission trips, reaching out with the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's our discipleship pathway. Saved and baptized, connected and growing, serving and going. But for the last few weeks, we've been talking about our scope. We want to make disciples. And the question is, where do we want to make disciples? And we said that there are three answers to that question. We want to make disciples in our neighborhoods, our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, people here in our area. We want to reach them with the gospel. We want to have God work in our church in such a way that the Emerald Coast area is the hardest place in the world to go to hell from. Our neighborhoods. We want to make disciples of all the nations, like the Great Commission says. We want to take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. And we talked about reaching unreached people groups a couple of weeks ago. But there's one final answer to that question as to the scope of our disciple-making. We want to make disciples in our neighborhoods. We want to make disciples among the nations. We want to make disciples of the next generation. And I want to talk to you about the next generation. Again, the numbers are troubling. And the scriptures are clear. We are called to tell of the greatness of our God to those who are coming behind us. So I want to give you two just basic thoughts about making disciples of the next generation. And you might ask, well, who's the next generation to me? Anybody that's behind you, that's the next generation. And so two basic thoughts. Number one, I want to talk about the target. What are we, what are we aiming for when we talk about reaching the next generation? Well, there are at least five answers to that question more, but I want to give you just a quick Thought, uh, some quick thoughts about the target when it comes to reaching those coming behind us. First of all, the target is a growing relationship with Jesus. We want people to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. We want people to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and thus be reconciled to a holy God. We want people to be saved, to be born again, to be redeemed. We want the younger generation to know that there is hope in the name of Jesus. And when they come to know Him, we want them to experience an ever-deepening relationship with Him. I think about Philippians chapter 3. Where Paul says, when I think about my religious resume, the, the things I thought earned a right standing with God. He says, I see that you're not saved by your works. You can't gain righteousness before God by your works. There's a different type of righteousness. A righteousness you receive through faith in Jesus Christ. A gift of God. And he says, when I think about my religious resume, the things I was trusting in, I count them all as rubbish in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my 
Lord, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but a righteousness that is given to me as a gift because of my relationship with Christ. So Paul's saying, oh, it's so good to know Jesus. It's so good to be saved. It's so good to be born again. But then he goes on to say in verse 10, and I want to know him more. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed even to the image of his death. Paul's saying, I know Jesus personally and nothing compares and he's saying, I want to know him even more. I want to pursue an ever-deepening, growing relationship with him. And that should be our desire for the next generation. And the generation after that, that we would so lead and so preach and teach and live that we lift up the mighty name of Jesus and we say, there's nothing more, there's nothing more important than that you know Christ and you pursue him in this life. The target, a growing relationship with King Jesus. I think there's another target. I think it is that they have a desire to hear from God. Not only do they know Jesus, but they want God to lead them, to direct them, to instruct them. They want to follow His will for their life. So we need to teach our young people what it means to, to get alone with, a, with an open Bible. Not just, not just saying I'm a Christian because mom and dads are Christian. But I know Jesus personally and, and, and I have a, a personal walk with him. And we want to teach them to get alone with the Bible and say, as I read my Bible, I want to hear from God. I want God to speak into my life. And change me through his word. A desire to hear from God. As I was studying, I thought about 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel's a young man that his mother Hannah leaves at the temple, recognizing he was a gift from God. She, she leaves Samuel at the temple as a child to serve with the high priest Eli and and the Lord has a specific plan and purpose for Samuel's life, a, a special prophetic ministry he's calling him into. And, and, and so the Lord begins to speak audibly to Samuel, and Samuel doesn't understand what's going on. So he goes to Eli and, and says, I, I'm, I'm hearing, and, and Eli says, well, go lay back down. And, 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 he, and he comes again, I'm hearing something. And, and Eli discerned that it was God calling him. So here's what Eli said to Samuel, I love this. He said, when you go back to your bed, if you hear that voice again, say this. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And that's exactly what happened. Samuel went back to his bed. God spoke, called him by name. And Samuel says, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And God gave him his instructions. He, he laid out his path for his life, his, his calling for his life. And here's what we want the next generation to understand. That they, in their personal relationship with God, can say, speak, Lord. Speak into my life. Guide me. Lead me. Call me. And I'll follow you wherever you lead. The target is a growing relationship with Jesus. The target is a desire to hear from God. And then third, the target is a biblical ballast to withstand the secular tsunami. You know what a ballast is? It's weight. 
in a, in a boat of ballast keeps the boat from, from tipping over and being, being uh, swamped by wind and waves. It keeps the boat steady as it moves forward. And here's what our young people need now more than ever. They need biblical truth to serve as a ballast for their lives as the secular tsunami comes for them so that they can withstand the, the, the falsehood, they can withstand the error and keep on moving forward for Jesus. I want you to know that what our young people are dealing with in school is totally different than anything you had to deal with in school. Anything I had to deal with in school. It's a new ball game. Because you add to the, the, the secularization of society, you add to that things like social media and devices where you can link up to anything the world has to say at any time you want to, smart devices, you put all that together and there is a secular tsunami sweeping our land and it's coming for our children. They need to know truth, the truth of the Word of God. So they have that ballast to withstand the storm. Psalm 119 verse 89 says this, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Truth. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world. That word conform means to be pressed into a mold. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. We want to teach and instruct and disciple and guide and lead our kids and our grandkids in such a way that their minds are being transformed by the Word of God, not being conformed to the rampant ungodliness and secularization of our society. A biblical ballast to withstand the secular tsunami. Fourth, What's the target for our, for our young folks, the next generations? A willingness to be on mission with God. We want them to know, and just kind of a quick aside, I don't believe we talk about this enough nowadays. We used to back in my day, but we don't talk about it as much anymore. I, I believe with all of my heart, I want you to hear what I'm about, about to say. I believe with all of my heart that for... For everyone in this room, God has a personal plan for your life. When it comes to our young people, some sitting in here this morning, God has a personal plan for your life. And the goal spiritually is for us to say this. God, wherever you lead, I'll go. Now, I get that from Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah is called by God into the prophetic ministry. God reveals himself in this, in this incredible vision. He sees the Lord exalted, seated on his throne, the train of his robe, 
filling the temple. Isaiah feels his uncleanness before this holy God. And through a symbolic gesture, uh, an angel comes. He takes a, he takes a, a, a hot coal from the altar with tongs. And he touches Isaiah's lips as an act of purification. And this all pictures the purification that is ours through the blood of Jesus. So here's Isaiah. He understands God is holy. He understands that God is on his throne. He understands that God graciously allows us to be purified in his presence. And Isaiah is so overwhelmed that he says, here am I, send me. God, whatever you want to do, I'll go. I'll be the one to be your messenger. I'll be the one to tell others. Even in hard places, I will go. A willingness to be on mission with God. We will know we have reached our target when our young people are saying to God, Here am I, send me. And then, number five, when it comes to the target, and this would be the most important because this informs all the other targets, it would be a passion for the glory of God. A passion for the glory of God. Over in Isaiah 26, the Bible talks about a coming day where Jesus will rule and reign over the earth. I believe it's speaking of the millennial reign of Christ. All the nations will bow before King Jesus. And he will rule with perfect justice and wisdom. And on that day, people will say to Jesus... Your name and your remembrance are the desire of our soul. We want to see you get the glory that you deserve. And I ask the question, why wait for the millennial reign? Shouldn't we all, in the here and now, have an abiding, burning passion that Jesus gets glory? Because he is worthy of worship. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of all glory. And it should be our overwhelming desire that his name be magnified. And we need to pass that on to the next generation. And say, listen, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. He's the one that deserves the glory Fix your eyes on him. Tell of his wonders. Tell of his grace. Point others to him. Have a passion for the glory of God. And so that's the target. And there's more we could say there, obviously. But when we think about what we want to see happen among the next generations, our kids, our grandkids, those coming behind us, We want to see them experiencing a growing, fruitful, fulfilling, satisfying relationship with Jesus. We want them to to desire to hear from God. We want them to have that biblical ballast to withstand the tsunami of error. We want them to, to, to be willing to be on mission with God. And we want them to have a passion for His name. That's the target. Now, let's talk about the task. How do we get there? How do we see this happening in the next generations, in an ever-increasing way. How does this begin to to take root? Well, let me give you a couple answers to that question. First answer is this. 
Every generation should care about the ones coming behind it. Every generation should care about the ones coming behind it. So the answer to the question is, how do we make a difference? First of all, you got to care. Right? you got to care. This has got to be a concern, a burden in your life. you got to care. And that's what it says over in Psalm 71. The psalmist who is nameless says in verse 17, From my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. I look back over my life, the psalmist is saying, and I look and I say, Oh, you've been so good from my, from my youth. You've been so faithful to me. If we did a quick survey across the room, many of you could stand up and say, Oh, God's been so good to me. He's been so faithful. He's blessed me in so many ways. And the psalmist says, So, even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. The psalmist here is praying for God's help. If you read earlier in Psalm 71, he's praying for God's healing. He's praying for God's strength. And the question becomes, why should we seek God's help? Why should we seek healing when we are sick? Why should we seek strength for our daily lives? The answer is found there in the text. Even old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. Watch this. Until I proclaim your might to another generation. He's not saying, Lord, heal me so I can just have some more time. Heal me, help me, strengthen me, because I've got something to do. I've got to tell those coming behind me of how good you are. The psalmist is basically calling us to care. I like what James Montgomery Boyce says about this this passage. He writes, not only did he, the psalmist, look to the past to remember God's goodness and faithfulness to him over the many long years of his life, he also looked to the future in terms of the work yet remaining to be done. He knew that if God had left him in life and had not yet taken him home to be with him in glory, it was because there was work to do. Everybody look at me. If your heart is currently beating and your lungs are currently breathing, there's some work to do. God's left you here for a reason. Can I get an amen? And and the the psalmist is clear. The reason is there are some folks behind us that need to know about the goodness and redeeming grace of God. So why do we ask for God's help? Why do we ask for healing when we get sick? Why do we ask for God's strength? Because people coming behind us need to know about Christ. We should, based upon these passages, we should care deeply about the spiritual lives of those who are coming behind us. Let me say it again. We should care deeply about the spiritual lives of those who are coming behind us. One of the most disturbing Passages of scriptures found in 2 Kings chapter 20. It's about Hezekiah. Hezekiah led well as king of Judah. He had some bright moments. But there was a time when Hezekiah got sick. And he asked God for more time. 
The Lord said, get your house in order, you're about to die. And Hezekiah said, give me some more time. And so God sends Isaiah to say, okay, I've given you 15 more years. Now I'd love to tell you that that Hezekiah maximized those 15 years and used them for the glory of God and to, 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 to declare God's greatness to the next generation. But that's all what happened. Hezekiah became selfish and prideful in those final 15 years. In fact, there's an envoy that came from the nation of Babylon. They come to look around. And so... Hezekiah shows them everything that they had. He shows them the armory, shows them the treasury, shows them around the different buildings, the temple come. He shows them everything. Now, there are two reasons this was foolish. Number one, it was just prideful. Hezekiah showing off all of his goodness, trying to impress the Babylonians, another mighty empire. It was just pride on display. Number two... Pretty unwise to show a rival nation everything you got. Because guess what? They may want to come get it one day, which is exactly what happened. And so the Lord says to Hezekiah, you shouldn't have done that. That was wrong for you to do. Wrong attitude, wrong actions. The Lord says, because of your actions... There are going to be some consequences. He says, one day, those same Babylonians, they're going to come back and destroy everything that you just showed them. And they're going to take your sons and your grandsons, your descendants, into captivity. Their lives will be ruined. Your descendants are going to suffer, Hezekiah. You know what it says about Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20? Hezekiah said, well, that's good. At least I'll live out my days in peace. Wow. A disturbing lack of concern for the next generation. It's right there in the text. 2 Kings 20, 16 through 19, Hezekiah says, well, as long as I'm good, as long as I die peacefully and enjoy my last days, who cares about the next generation? And I want you to know that our lack of concern for the next generation may not be that dramatic and that pronounced But it can be true that we can be sitting in this room this morning and honestly not really care about what comes next. As long as the rest of our days are good. A disturbing lack of concern for those coming behind. So here's what I'm I'm calling us to this morning. We talked about the target. What's the task? First of all, the task is just to care. To realize God has called us to this. And to care about the spiritual lives of those coming behind us. But secondly, what's the task? A church impacts the next generation by investing in them. So we got to care and then we got to invest. We got to put feet to our concern. We've got to 
do the right things to impact the next generation. And the question is, well, how do you do that? How do you invest in your kids and your grandkids? How do you invest in your preschoolers that are coming to your church and your children that are coming to your church and your, your, the youth that are coming to your church and that college career age is coming to your church and those young marrieds that are coming to your church? How, how, do, you, how do you invest in them? Let me give you three answers to that question and we'll be through. Number one, by calling out. Calling out. And by calling out, I mean pray. Pray. Call out to God. Let me, let me ask you. I want you to write this down in your notes. Would you commit to regular weekly prayer for the young people here in our church? Would you start doing that? Can I ask you to do that? If you would, just write down your notes. I will commit to regular, consistent, at least weekly prayer for the young people that are here in the life of our church. I will call out to God on their behalf. I will care about their spiritual condition to the point that I will ask God to move. Because, you see, if there's something we don't pray about, we don't really care about it. Right? We don't really care about it. So would you call out to God? Would you be a prayer warrior for the next generations? Calling out. Number two, reaching out. You invest by reaching out to the next generations. Now I mean several different things by reaching out. By reaching out, I mean designing ministries and strategies to reach young people. So we, we, uh, we design ministry here and plans and programs so that we can engage younger people and tell them about Jesus Christ and, and make disciples of those next generations. I mean continually upgrading our campus and and, and providing engaging environments to reach young people for Jesus, to tell them about Jesus, to teach them about Jesus. By, by reaching out, I mean making younger generations feel welcome at our church. And you think, oh, here you go, Pastor Wade. You're going to talk about something. You know, listen to me. Stop thinking about the young people, and I want you to think about your grandkids. Do you care about your grandkids' spiritual condition? If you do, and all the other young people in our church and in our community, our goal should be that we make them feel welcome at church. That, listen, this is their favorite place to be, or it should be. Amen? I mean, asking the question, wig take. You say, what in the world does that mean? We hired a staff member years ago at a previous ministry. And uh, he, he had just come off the mission field. He would served 18 years with the International Mission Board. And we were sitting in a staff meeting and we were talking about some different strategies and things. And he said, he said, wig take. And I thought he was speaking the language you learned on the mission field. Like, what are you talking about? And he said, they learned on the mission field, when they're thinking about reaching people for Christ, he, they learned to ask this question. What's it going to take? Wig take. What's it going to take? What's it going to take to reach people on the mission field? 
And we've got to ask the question, in an, in, in an ongoing way as a church family, what's it going to take to reach the next generation? And whatever it takes, as long as it is biblical, Christ-honoring, and focused on the gospel, we are willing to do it. Whatever it takes. Because the next generation needs to know about Him. So by reaching out, I, I mean strategy, ministry, programming. But I mean more than that. I, I want you to just tune in just for a second if you tune me out. By reaching out, I mean taking the time to speak to a young person. Or if you've been married 50, 60 years, 65 years, and there are many of couples like that in our church. I mean, taking the time to speak to a young couple. When I think about being raised in church, and, and I'm, I'm so grateful that I was raised in a, in, in a church that believed the Bible and preached the gospel. I can remember very clearly, listen to me, very clearly moments when senior adults took the time to speak to me when I was a child. Listen to me. Like it was yesterday. I can remember people in the body of Christ that took the time to speak to me. Asking me about how things were going. Helen Pitts. She told me when I was 12, you're going to be a preacher someday. I thought she was crazy. But she took the time to just speak and help me to think about God's vision for my life. I can remember being a teenager and in the bulletin one day there was an announcement that starting on Sunday nights we're having Experiencing God. Experiencing God class. I never heard of it. Henry Black would be experiencing God. But I thought, well, I want to experience God. That sounds good. So I showed up. There, at, at small church. We didn't have a youth group. It was me and the pastor's daughter and one other girl. That was a youth group. So I showed up this Sunday night Bible study, experiencing God. It was me and four senior adult ladies. And I don't, honestly, I've done experiencing God since then, and I can talk about the principles, but I don't remember anything from that Bible study. But I remember those ladies praying for their families. I remember those ladies caring about the church. I remember those ladies caring about me. I was a soccer player in high school. And uh, there were times I would leave soccer practice with my shorts on and my shin guards and dirty socks and shoes. And I'd go to Wednesday night prayer meeting and I'd walk in the door and I'd sit there with about 12, 15 other senior adults. And you know what? They were so glad to see me. They didn't care that I had dirt on my shoes. They wanted me to sit by them. I remember 
that clearly. I remember a man named Mr. Nelson. He was a widower. He was very faithful. He was the guy that would open the door and pass out bulletins. He was there every single week, very faithful. But I don't ever remember talking to him. He was quiet, kind of kept to himself. And as a young person, I never remember talking to him. But as a, as a teenager one time, he stopped and he said something to me. And I'll never forget it because it was encouraging. So what I'm saying is this. You can take the time to stop and speak to a young person in this church, and you can't imagine the impact that can have. You can't imagine the difference that will make. I'm telling you, listen, they will never forget it. Yes, we want to reach every generation, and we're going to be a multi-generational church, and we have ministries from senior adults down to Bed babies. We're going to have it all. But let's not forget to think about those coming behind us and personally investing in them, sometimes simply by speaking for them, asking how you can pray for them, learning their name. I'm just telling you, I'm a product of loving, godly senior adults making a difference in my life and, and I, know how, I know how awesome you are to hang around and how sweet you are and how much you love Jesus. And I want the next generation to know that too. I want you just to be yourself. But love on the next generation. Calling out, reaching out, third and last. How do we impact the next generation? By investing in them. Through living it out. Living it out. You know, when it comes to learning how to walk with Jesus, much is taught. We, we're taught principles of Scripture and we learn those and apply those. But when it comes to learning to walk with Jesus, much is, much is caught. In other words, the younger folks can learn how to walk with Jesus by watching the generations in front of them. Or that's how it should be. Paul said in Corinthians... Chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now think about that. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, if you want to know how to live the Christian life, just watch me. <laughs> what a claim. Would you be comfortable saying that? Hey, if you want to know how to pursue Jesus, man, watch me. Not perfect, but I'm clinging to him. I'm growing. I'm following him. I'm letting him change me. I'm living in repentance. In other words, you can make a mighty impact in other people's lives as you live an authentic Christian life before them. Where your actions line up with your profession of faith in Jesus. There's a congruency there. And they see the difference that Jesus is making in your life and in your marriage and in your parenting and in your grandparenting and in your service in the church and in your personality and in your attitude. They're seeing the difference Jesus Christ makes. Live it out. Live it out. And our young people will learn what it means to walk with Jesus. So... We're called to make disciples of the next generation. That's going to mean a lot of specific things as we move forward. And we'll talk about those in the coming days. 
But, but this morning, I just, I'm just asking you to let the Holy Spirit do a work on the inside. That you would care, that you would be burdened. To the point where you would invest in the next generation. There's a retired pastor named Michael Catt. He was a pastor of Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. And I don't know if he coined this phrase or if he got it from somewhere, but he's, he's known for this phrase. And the first time I heard him say it, it, it stuck with me. In fact, they had this phrase over their uh, youth building. As you walk into it, there's this big phrase up on the wall. The phrase is this. Whoever wants the, the next generation the most will get it. Whoever wants the next generation the most will get it. And can I just remind you that secular society wants the next generation? They want more and more adherence to their unbiblical, ungodly philosophies and worldviews and ways of living. Secular media and social media want your kids. question is, do we want our kids more? Because whoever wants the next generation the most will get it. Are we willing to do whatever it takes to make disciples of the next generation? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.